Good morning, and welcome to Simply Politics. It's Friday, February 9th. On today's show, we fact-check three false claims made by Biden about his handling of classified information, and Biden officials confront the limits of federal response in an exercise preparing for 2024 election threats. Plus, we delve into the politics of a U-turn. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Politics. We start off with a recent press conference held by President Joe Biden following the release of a report from special counsel Robert Hur. The report announced that Biden would not face charges over his handling of classified information from before his presidency. However, the president's remarks during the press conference have raised some eyebrows as they seem to contradict the findings of Hur's report. Here to discuss this further is our correspondent, Michael. Can you shed some light on this? Certainly, David. During the press conference, President Biden made three claims that were directly contradicted by the special counsel's report. These pertain to where the classified material was stored, the classification level of the documents in his possession, and what he said to his ghostwriter. Let's start with the first point. What did Biden say about where the classified material was stored, and how does that compare with what the special counsel's report says? President Biden claimed that all the classified documents in his home were stored in filing cabinets that were either locked or could be locked. However, the special counsel's report contradicts this. It states that while some classified documents were found in cabinet drawers, others were found in an unsealed and badly damaged box in Biden's garage. The report even includes a photo of the box. So, Biden's claim that all documents were in locked or lockable filing cabinets is not accurate. And what about the classification level of the documents Biden had in his possession? Biden claimed that none of the classified material he had was highly classified. However, the special counsel's report contradicts this as well. It mentions the discovery of documents marked as top-secret, sensitive, compartmented information, a very high level of classification. The report also mentions handwritten notebooks from Biden's time as vice president that contained information that remains classified up to the top-secret, sensitive, compartmented information level. Finally, what did Biden say to his ghostwriter, and how does that compare with what the special counsel's report says? Biden categorically denied sharing classified information with his ghostwriter, Mark Zwonitzer. However, the special counsel's report explicitly states that Biden did share information, including some classified information, from his notebooks with Zwonitzer. The report details that Biden read nearly verbatim from his notebooks on at least three occasions. While we're on the topic of political discrepancies, let's shift our focus to the White House, where senior national security officials recently gathered to prepare for the 2024 election. They faced simulated scenarios that tested the limits of any federal response to election-related chaos, including the creation of a fake AI, generated video by Chinese operatives showing a Senate candidate destroying ballots and the eruption of violence at polling stations on Election Day. Here with us to discuss this further is Abby, a correspondent for Simply Politics. Can you tell us more about these simulated scenarios and the responses they elicited? Certainly, David. 
the officials, including the number two officials at the FBI, CIA, and the Departments of Homeland Security and Justice, grappled with how to respond to the deepfake video. They considered whether and how to notify the public about the activity, especially if they weren't sure that China was behind it. The officials also discussed how to respond to potential violence at polling stations on Election Day. It sounds like these officials are facing some serious challenges. What are some of the key issues they're grappling with? One of the main challenges is how to handle rampant disinformation, deepfakes, and the harassment of election officials. The officials have to consider whether publicly calling attention to disinformation might inadvertently amplify the very message they're trying to bat down. They also have to tread carefully when an American citizen might be involved to avoid giving the impression that they are influencing the election or restricting speech. And how did the officials decide to respond to these scenarios? In both scenarios, the officials favored a muted public response, choosing to let state and local governments take the lead. This reflects a deep-seated dilemma. How does the federal government protect voters from election threats when many of those voters don't trust the federal government in the first place? The officials decided that state election officials should lead any public messaging to counter disinformation spread by the fake video. As for violence at the polls, they decided not to dispatch federal agents to support local police because they did not have the jurisdiction to do so. So it seems like the role of AI in election security is becoming increasingly critical. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. The use of AI to create fake audio and video to target voters is a growing concern. The recent AI made robocall ahead of the New Hampshire primary that mimicked President Biden's voice is a prime example. The speed and volume at which adversaries can flood the information environment with such fakes pose significant challenges for U.S. agencies. What about the state level? Are there any measures in place to counter deepfakes? Policies at the state level are still a work in progress. Out of the 33 states that responded to a recent CNN inquiry, most described existing programs to respond to general misinformation or cyber threats. However, less than half of those states referenced specific trainings, policies, or programs crafted to respond to election-related deepfakes. While there's a lot of work to be done in the political landscape, as our reporter Abby just highlighted, we're seeing some interesting developments elsewhere too. For instance, labor leader Sir Keir Starmer has recently made headlines for his decision to abandon a long-standing promise to spend 28 billion pounds a year on green industries. This move, seen as a political U-turn, has sparked a debate on the implications of changing one's mind in politics. Joining us to discuss this further is Bella, a correspondent for Simply Politics. Bella, can you tell us more about this decision and its implications? Certainly, David. The £28 billion promise was announced in 2021, then diluted last summer, and finally abandoned this week. The Labour Party felt constrained by this figure, which they believed was unlikely to be achieved given their self-imposed economic rules. Critics argued that this number would lead to significant borrowing or tax increases. The party's senior figures were publicly contradicting each other about the policy's status, leading to the decision to abandon it. How has Sir Keir Starmer justified this decision? Starmer has tried to argue that the practical outcome will remain largely unchanged, despite the headline figure being discarded. 
This is a challenging argument to make, especially considering that the party hadn't fully figured out how to spend the vast sums included in the 28 billion pounds. The Conservatives, however, have accused Labour of blaming the change on Tory tax cuts, which Labour supports and won't reverse. So was it a mistake for Labour to commit to the 28 billion pounds in the first place? Labour's leader in Scotland, Anna Sarwar, has described the 28 billion pound figure as arbitrary. The question of whether it was naive for Labour to make this commitment in the first place is certainly up for debate. And how does this reflect on the broader issue of changing one's mind in politics? Starmer has argued that changing one's mind in response to changing circumstances is seen as a negative only in Westminster. He views his decision as a pragmatic shift. However, the Conservatives have accused him of being indecisive. The challenge for an opposition leader is that frequent changes of mind can make it harder to define themselves in the minds of voters. So what's the potential impact of this U-turn on Labour's political standing? Starmer's opponents hope to expose his changes of mind as a vulnerability. They see the 28 billion pounds as the latest example. However, Labour believes that a short stint of being accused of a U-turn is better than months of criticism over the 28 billion pound figure. It's also worth noting that political opponents often attack a party for making U-turns when they lack alternative lines of attack. After hearing from Simply Politics reporter Bella on the recent political U-turn by Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer, let's now shift our focus to the early stages of the 2024 political race in the U.S. Former President Donald Trump seems to be having a good run with a favorable special counsel report on President Joe Biden's handling of classified documents, victories in the Nevada and U.S. Virgin Island caucuses, that, and a potentially favorable Supreme Court ruling. Here to delve deeper into these developments is our correspondent, James. Indeed, David. Trump's political fortunes seem to be on an upswing. The special counsel report on Biden's handling of classified documents, while concluding that Biden should not be prosecuted, raised concerns about his memory. This has fueled a frenzy among Biden's opponents, who argue that if Biden is too incapable of being held accountable for mishandling classified information, he is unfit for the Oval Office. How has Biden responded to these allegations? Biden has defended his memory, stating that it is fine. He also expressed outrage at the special counsel for questioning his memory of his son. The White House has disputed the accounts in the report, describing the language used as highly prejudicial. What about Trump's victories in the Nevada and U.S. Virgin Island caucuses? Trump's victories in these caucuses have solidified his position in the primary race. His chief rival, Nikki Haley, has been struggling, finishing second to none of these candidates in the state-run primary in Nevada. Haley has said she will stay in the race through Super Tuesday in early March, despite her poor performance. And what about the Supreme Court case? The Supreme Court case revolves around whether Colorado can declare Trump an insurrectionist and bar him from their election ballots. Even liberal justices expressed skepticism about this during the oral arguments. However, larger Trump-related questions loom for the Supreme Court, such as whether Trump enjoys absolute immunity from prosecution. How does this all play into Trump's narrative? Trump has sought to create a false equivalence between his own standoff with the government over classified material and what was found in Biden's Delaware garage and den. He will likely use the decision not to prosecute Biden 
as evidence of a double standard in the justice system. However, the special counsel's report should actually be unhelpful to Trump, as it concluded that Biden should not be prosecuted for his willful mishandling of classified documents. That was Simply Politics reporter James shedding light on the recent political developments surrounding former President Donald Trump and President Joe Biden. And with that, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Politics. We'll see you back here tomorrow.